0: and I was ready. Instead, I discovered that this disciple of Jesus had decided to take on a Lenten discipline he called an appreciation tour. He intentionally observed what he appreciated and valued about several individuals in his life, and then he made appointments with each one of them to share his observations, to express his gratitude, and to share the encouragement that he had written down beforehand. There was nothing he needed from me at the moment. There was no problem he wanted me to solve. There was no hidden criticism in his words of praise. This unique gift was an intentional act of discipleship, a coming alongside of a fellow disciple along the road, a way of saying, you can go just a little bit farther. God is with you. You are enough. I felt my heart burn within me with the renewed strength of purpose and an expansive love for this community of faith. In our scripture today, Jesus intentionally comes alongside two dejected disciples who are grieving his death and pondering the meaning of the mysterious words they've heard from women who encountered an empty tomb. The disciples were in that mode of walking where you just put one foot in front of the other seven miles on the road to Emmaus, 15,000 steps of grief and questions, much more looking down and looking back than looking ahead and not recognizing Jesus beside them. We don't know much about the town of Emmaus or why our traumatized travelers We're headed there, so I wonder if we should think of Emmaus as more of a symbolic destination, a state of mind or heart. Just like these original disciples, we too are finding ourselves walking as Easter people in profoundly unsettling circumstances, pandemic challenges, deaths of unarmed black men, Repetitive gun violence and hate crimes, political polarization, increasing economic disparities. What difference does the presence of Jesus make in our journeys? How will we recognize him when he appears alongside us, among us?
1: At the January session meeting, a few of the endowment trustees asked to speak. They shared how our endowment had made a significant amount of money during the pandemic. As they encouraged us to consider giving from that abundance to help meet the need that exists in our community, I felt a spark within me. This idea was passed to the Serve Council, and as we began talking about organizations we've worked with in the past, the needs of the community that were more directly related to or increased by the pandemic, the foci of youth, education, and poverty that we have been orienting ourselves towards and becoming a Matthew 25 church, one that is connected more closely and intentionally with other churches and the broader denomination to build congregational vitality, dismantle racism, and eradicate systemic poverty that spark ignited. As serve council members began to have conversations with different organizations and report back to the group, a joy and an excitement was rekindled in me that I haven't felt that deeply in a long time. I wept tears of great joy when the serve council voted on recommendations to send to session on financial gifts that would make a significant impact with several organizations. And I wept again when Session voted without hesitation to authorize those gifts. I wept because it's one thing to think or to say that we are a people who give from our abundance and it's another thing to do it. To step away from worry and fear and concern that can hold us back as individuals or a collective and step out into trust. That's miraculous enough in itself. But I also wept because I could imagine the faces and the voices of the people of these organizations that we would get to share this good news with. It wasn't about patting ourselves on the back for being so generous. It was about what these gifts would mean to other people's work and to the lives of many in the broader community. It was about the relief and the joy that this simple decision could bring. I realized after that session meeting just after Easter that I was having an Emmaus Road experience. My heart was burning within me And these conversations and actions, Jesus, had been made known.
0: Growing up in the Methodist Church, I became familiar with this idea of the burning heart as a metaphor for faith. John Wesley famously writes about his own experience as a pastor going to a prayer meeting and feeling his heart strangely warmed his trust in Christ renewed. He later organized what became the Methodist movement and was known to say, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. This dialogue sermon is about burning heart. Some sermons are written after much study and prayer. This one is written after being on the road with Jesus, intentionally face-to-face with his disciples, our own post-Easter appreciation tour. After
1: the session voted, I immediately wanted to call each of the contact people at the Heights School Foundation, the Northeastern Coalition for the Homeless, the Greater Cleveland Food Bank, Amis, and Lutheran Metropolitan Ministries. Luckily, I work with a wise woman who slowed me down and suggested that she and I should intentionally meet with each of these people face to face, either in person or over Zoom. So just a few days ago, Jesse and I walked into the administrative building of the Cleveland Heights University Heights School District. We sat down at several different eight foot long tables and faced through masks, the director of the foundation and the district's supervisor of community and school partnerships. We all introduced ourselves, talked about how this was the first meeting of this kind that any of us had had in over a year And then I began to read a letter of intention. That letter highlighted the difficulties that children, teachers, staff, and parents have encountered in the last year and spoke with hope about the ways in which our church wanted to partner with the district to envision a different future. And then it went on to say that we wanted to do this with a gift of $20,000 twice as large as they had imagined, meaning that its reach and impact was so much more than twice as much greater. And we all wept. These women talked of the difference it makes when community partners like us want to be in conversation. That because I called and said, what do you need and how can we help you with that, rather than assuming that we knew best, we could have more intentional conversations and impactful results. They talked of dreams they had for the children and youth of the district. They talked of the ways that they had seen generosity and transformation during the pandemic, right alongside the overwhelming difficulties and heartache. They talked about their excitement the summer programs they were working to create with academic support and enrichment opportunities built in, partnering with groups like Lake Erie Inc. and the library system. And that our gift could help make this dream of offering these camps at an incredibly low price or free for those who needed it a reality. And, and, that this increase of financial support also meant they could extend emergency assistance to even more families.
0: My heart burned within me. In the outside entrance leading into the former sanctuary, which is now Anderson Hall, there is a phrase from the Bible engraved in the stone, A simple question, is it well with the child? That question has been at the heart of Fairmount Church from its beginnings as a Sunday school. We, all of us, bear responsibility not only for the welfare of the children of our church, but the children of our community. Cleveland is still a place where too many children go hungry. So our next stop was the food bank. I got the
1: sense that Sari, the contact person that Jesse and I Zoomed with at the Greater Cleveland Food Bank, had had many conversations with organizations who give generously. She had lots of statistics to share and possibilities for engagement to offer but I'm not sure she'd ever had a meeting with someone who said to her,
0: I keep thinking about this text from the Old Testament in the book of Esther where it talks about Esther being sent for such a time as this. And hearing you talk, I can't help but think that you came to the food bank with all your gifts and your skills for just such a time as this sorry, paused for a moment, smiled,
1: and said, I think you might be right. She shared what it meant to her, a 25-year-old, originally from Solon, who had never needed the help of the food bank, to now be a part of a team that distributes 2,500 emergency food boxes at a single distribution site every week as just one of the many things they do and to know that helping people have healthy food to eat enables them to save close to a fifth of their income, which in turn can mean the difference between having a place to live and becoming homeless, or going without needed medication, or any number of the other impossible choices that an increasing number of people have to face on a daily basis. This gift of $24,530.61, made quite so specific by a previous donation to the church for hunger-related needs, means that our congregation is able to provide roughly 100,000 meals. 100,000 meals! And you guessed it, I wept
0: while my heart burned within me. Today, our eyes are more and more open to the ways in which education, racial injustice, hunger, jobs, citizenship, and housing intersect. Our next visit was with an organization that's been around since 1988, seeking to break the cycle of homelessness in Northeastern Ohio by eliminating its root causes and loving our diverse community through organization, advocacy, education, and street outreach.
1: When we Zoomed with Molly, the Director of Strategic Initiatives at Northeastern Ohio Coalition for the Homeless, otherwise known as NEOC, and Brenda Horth, a member of our congregation and an advocate for those without homes within our presbytery, They both talked about how this pandemic has been a great equalizer of sorts molly commented in work with the homeless and housing advocacy everything always feels like a crisis because it is now it feels like we are welcoming more people to join us in this crisis we've been in and things are starting to change she said she's seen a renewed sense of urgency around seeing housing as a human right. Friends, I don't know about you, but I'd never quite thought about housing like that before. Due to the pandemic, there are millions of people who are now much closer to homelessness than they have ever been. But NEOC has seen a 30% decrease in homelessness in our area, because of safe, trauma-informed options for people that they've been able to work with other groups and people to provide. Options that became a necessity because of the ways the virus spreads in congregate settings and more people being invested in wanting to stop its spread while also caring for others. While Jesse and I shared the process that had led us to this conversation, I could see Brenda and Molly's eyes begin to light up. When I said, you asked for $10,000 for this work, but that's not what's been approved. What has been approved is $20,000. Brenda and Molly were clearly astonished. They both did this. And again, through tears... Said things like, this will be so transformational. And this is the best news I've had in a long time. I can't wait to share it. And with this gift, you will help fund a street outreach worker. You can think of that in terms of this gift getting 40 people into permanent, stable housing.
0: my heart kept burning within me. The next visit felt very personal and close to home. The verse from Leviticus 19.34 came to mind, where the Lord commands Moses, When immigrants live in your land with you, you must not cheat them. Any immigrant who lives with you must be treated as if they were one of your citizens. You must love them as yourself, because you were immigrants in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God.
1: Over the last few months, many of us here at the church have become better acquainted with the work of AMIs, Americans Making Immigrants Safe, working here in the Cleveland area. It was through AMIs that we have been humbled and excited to welcome Jonas to stay in our church apartment The night that Serve Council was talking about which organizations would receive funds, we also heard an update about Jonas from Gene Silak, who is working with him as a liaison. Jonas is a refugee from the Congo who happens to speak five languages fluently and is seeking asylum. And he's in the process of waiting for approvals from the courts for things like being able to get a work permit and have, have an update in his legal status within this country. While he is in this limbo, there are many restrictions on his life. But through Amis, he has been surrounded by an additional support structure, people who can help him navigate the system, who can help get him things he needs, like a bicycle with a light on it so he can get around, and a monthly stipend that gives him a better sense of dignity and self-sufficiency. Jonas also spent some time with Jim Dakin at the home of the refugee family that we have also been supporting. You might remember that we asked the congregation for help to purchase new beds and bed frames for this family while he helped set those all up. And then with the help of Alice Weiner and Judy Young and a member of the Presbytery, Lori Mormon, we were able to bring handmade quilts for every member of that family because of this confluence of conversations, a member of Serve voiced, can we give AMIs a gift too? And I watched an aha moment happen across my computer screen. Jesse and I arranged to speak with Ann Hill, a Cleveland Heights resident and the president of the AMIs board. This was the smallest chunk of money that we gave away this week, but Ann was astounded when we shared with her that we would be sending a check for $5,000. That is a great sum of money, she replied. We can do so much with that. Things like ensuring monthly stipends for refugees that they work with, helping with requests for medical needs and health care payments, and paying the application fee for those who are applying for or renewing their DACA status. They also help support immigrants who are being released from jail the place that they have been held for months or years, not for committing a crime, but because that's where they were housed as a system processed their asylum cases. $5,000 seems like a small contribution, but its effects are exponential. And again, my heart
0: burned within me. Luke tells us that as they reached Emmaus, the two disciples invite the stranger with them to share a meal. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This is a story about the presence of the risen Lord to us on the road, when our hearts are burning, whether we recognize him or not. But it is also the story about the presence of the risen Lord in acts of hospitality that we extend to stranger. Acts that give expression to his generous welcome of others, especially marginalized others. Being on the road with Jesus prompts us to look for places in our own landscape where marginalized and traumatized people are still subject to crucifying realities. And as we extend friendship and solidarity and welcome and, yes, gifts on your behalf and to those who help them, our eyes, too, will be opened and we will recognize the risen Lord in our midst. The history of Fairmount Church revealed so many moments when disciples of Jesus who called this place their spiritual home went out of their way to offer radical welcome and the security of permanent housing to those in need. In 1950, Fairmount joined in establishing the Intercity Protestant Parish and 64 refugee families from Europe were resettled through that church program. Then in 1968, under the Reverend Dr. John McGill, Fairmount funded the construction of a housing development called Fairmount Village, consisting of 22 two-story townhouses at East 90th Street and Huff Avenue in the Huff neighborhood. Dr. McGill left after only three years, and in his last sermon to the congregation, he said, "'Love is the spiritual raw material out of which all acts of goodness are created.'" Love is everlasting, and everlastingly important. So is faith, so is hope, but love is so supremely. Love life, love yourself, your enemy, love each other. And thanks to that kind of love, love that has lived here and grown from here, The saints who have gone before us have left a legacy we can use to bless those in need. Fairmount has long supported Lutheran Metropolitan Ministries, otherwise known as LMM, and they requested $4,000 for support of their Breaking New Ground campaign. Reverend Hank Dahl, who is a part of the Fairmount family, is heavily involved in this campaign. LMM plans to purchase and renovate 20 existing housing units over five years in the St. Clair Superior neighborhood. As each home is purchased and renovated, LMM will rent the units to families experiencing homelessness. This was a fun meeting. As Lindsay and I were able to be face-to-face on Zoom with four leaders from LMM who work hard every day to serve those in need, we thanked them for all the work they do, and we let them know that we see them, that we know they must grow weary, that they serve and speak up for those who don't have a voice. And we were able to share the good news that out of the security of our endowment, we wanted to help provide housing security for those who need it most. But instead of the 4000 requested, we were going to give them $50,000 with a pledge to raise more by running a matching gift campaign in this congregation. And on the screen, we could see the joy on their faces, not just for the money, but of being heard and seen and thanked of coming alongside them and saying, we believe in what you're doing. God is with you. You are enough. Reverend Drew Gensler, president and CEO, said, you have no idea of the impact of this gift. I worry about my team and how hard they are working. This is a tremendous encouragement to us and we prayed for them and I felt my heart burning within me because Jesus was right there at the online table in the wilderness of pandemic and homelessness, breaking bread and opening our eyes. I keep saying my heart
1: was burning within me because I can only speak for myself, I don't know if that's how all the people that Jesse and I had the chance to speak with would describe how they felt. But I can tell you that we got to watch transformation in action. We watched hope and joy spread across people's faces. We saw the spark of possibility and excitement in their eyes. We held sacred space together as we heard the experiences that these people had been a part of and what it meant to them that a church intentionally sought them out, heard their stories, and not only gave them money, but validated those experiences and the work that they had been doing to try to change the world one little bit at a time. It may have been me and Jesse who got to talk to all of these people, but we're not the givers of the gifts. We are merely the messengers of good news. And as the saints who have gone before us, combined with the faithful decision making of today's leaders, it is those of you who continue to give for the operating budget and the needs of our physical building and property so we can give to mission generously. It is you. This, this is how we live as Easter people. This is what it looks like to share the good news. Friends, may your hearts burn within you as you realize, too, Christ's presence in our midst.
0: Alleluia and amen.